Live. Live on. Live on set. And welcome to episode two of Live on Set. My name is Austin Lee. I am the host of this podcast. Live on Set is the weekly pop culture podcast where I'm talking film, music, sports, television with friends, family, and people I meet along the way. For those of you that listened to episode zero and episode one of Live on Set, you heard me talk a little bit about myself and episode zero, why I wanted to start the podcast. Episode one, my guest was one of my best friends, Connor Brown. And today, one of my best friends, Henry Molsky, is my guest on episode two of Live on Set. I am so excited to get started. We have so many things to talk about. Henry, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here on Live on Set. Thank you for having me. It has been a long time since you and I have been on a, not a podcast, but a radio show, which we'll talk a little bit more about here in just a few minutes. But I'm very happy to be here, very happy that this is getting off the ground. And I hope that I'm back here for more in the future. Don't cycle back through me for a while, though. Get get some better people on after me. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yes, definitely. You and Connor will be recurring guests on the show. There are so many things that we mutually are a fan of, so many common interests, so many great stories that I cannot wait to talk about here on Live On Set. Um, so let's start right with what you just said there. We had a radio show that we hosted together in college. Now, you were a year older than me, but we were both comm majors. So I talked a little bit in episode zero about having the choice between a video and a radio practicum. We both chose radio. And for the last semester of college for you, we got to host a radio show together. So let's talk about it. Yeah, every word is true. No, my my last semester of college, I took an astounding 11 credit hours. and And two of those 11 credit hours were yoga. uh, (laughs) It's true. Two of the other uh, credit hours were sports broadcast. Actually, I think there might have been four credit hours there. But uh, the the other one was uh, the radio practicum, which um, every week I had the honor and the privilege to record a radio show that went out over the High Point University airwaves uh, with a good co-host of mine, which was you. And um, I, I had no idea what to to talk about at that point in time, uh, you know how we are in college. I didn't know what I wanted. I, I didn't know what my interests were. I didn't know what my career path was. So where do we start? I was like, I like movies. I like film. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about that. Who's my, who's my go-to on campus that knows, or actually not even knows, obviously knows, but who cares more about film than anyone that I know. And it was Austin Lee. And that's where we started the ski and Lee at the movies podcast boy on the fourth floor, fourth floor of the yeah. communications and Needham right. Cubane school of communications. Right. We had that radio show in the back two to four tunes ski and Lee at the movies, whatever you want to call it. We had a Twitter account that went with the show and you chose all of the music. I didn't do a thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> So Henry and I will talk about this here for a second, but with Connor, it was about Connor was my second radio show. So Henry and I, we actually had to go through this where we were both getting credit for it. We had to follow the rules. We couldn't have a lot of music that cussed. I tried to develop a playlist each week, but the content was all Henry. The music was myself, but we had a great time. And I think one thing that definitely um, kind of stands out and when, when it comes to movies is, with that fall, excuse me, with that spring semester, 
January through, I think before we went away for spring break, it was all leading up to the Academy Awards. I remember we broke it down. Yeah. Hey, it was a good year. Yes. It was, it was a great year. It was a great year for film. And there was so many crazy things I remember that happened. I think American Hustle was nominated for like 10 or 11 Academy Awards. We didn't pick it for anything, but it was something that had the most Academy Award nominations for a film since I think Lord of the Rings and before that, like Ben-Hur, which is nuts. But there were so many interesting movies that we not only as people that appreciate film, but so many movies that we went to see because we just wanted to see it. We weren't seeing it so we could talk about it on the show, which was great. And I Mm -hmm. think when when I look back on that time, there was so many situations where we could break it down by category and that could get us through a show and, and that Easy. Yep. yep thinking back on it now there's just so many things that are coming in my mind now but to have that and be able to share that with you that we had those common interests maybe some things that we didn't know how deep our appreciation ran for things but then being able to continue that after the academy awards were over and then ultimately roughly five years or so since we had the show continue to talk about it and talk as much as we talk each day about the same things that we talked about how we kind of became friends in the process it is great so that's why i wanted to have you on the show and and, and talk about all of our things yeah i think again thank you for having me i think one of the cool things that i think about with the show and then hopefully that people that are digging into this podcast and getting in and getting used to the flow of things we'll see about you and as they learn from you as a host and this is kind of the way that i develop because i feel like you know Obviously, you've got your own path, but we, we converged at the same time with this radio show. Mm-hmm. Is that something that it helped me do is I had always been a fan of film, and I'd always written about film. I'd written film reviews from time to time. I, I you know, was passionate about it in, in school and watching a lot more and more. You know, like Actually, not even film at that point. For me, it was movies. You were the right. one that got me starting to say the word film. film. Right. Very sophisticated. Right. <laughs> even though, you know, <laughs> skiing at the movies, though. Right, right, right. But, but I think the thing that this helped me do a little bit was slow down, talk about individual aspects of film, and really just start to develop an appreciation for each part of those. As simple as what the Academy rolls out there every year, which is actor, actress, cinematography, virtual effects, that type of stuff. So if someone starts to like peel back layers and say, I want to know more about film. I want to know more about Austin. You start to go down into these different layers and you go, all right, what do you think about cinematography? All right. What do you think about best actor? All right. What do you think about sound mixing? What do you think about sound editing, which is right. a different thing. But oh, big I think that, yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting that like it was at that point, at least in my my film appreciation cycle that I was like, here's where I'm going to start to actually care about this thing and this thing and talk about it beyond just like walking out of the movie and going like, you know what? That sounded really good. Or I really liked the music in that. It, it's so much more than that. And it, and it can bring like such a deeper level of appreciation of film, which I think is what you're going to show. There's so much more than just like going to the movies than just like going there. There's different parts of it. And this is just one part. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one thing I wanted to touch on there is when it comes to like actors, actresses, either lead or supporting, there's so many memorable roles that we talked about on the podcast. So many great performances that came before that, obviously historic. And then ones after that have just been just once in a lifetime performances that we've seen as fans of film so to just taking those performances. But the one category that I really did not 
I guess I would say I didn't educate myself on and it's something that I've been able to develop appreciation for that I can definitely just pick one category and totally align it to you and thank you for it is cinematography. And one person that we've talked about so often is Roger Deakins. So at the time that we had the podcast, he had been nominated to 14, 14. Right. And so he had been nominated all those times, 10 plus times, 11 or 12. And then I think he's won, he's won to this day back to back for Blade Runner 2049 and then 1917. There were so many establishing shots when it came to cinematography that I didn't even yeah, like hey, the, that's a good point. When, when the I trailer, never talked about we didn't we we right. really dove into establishing shots. Oh, if, big time! If, which if, hopefully people know about that. But coming in, but Austin and I are a freak for like the the moment that you sit down in that theater and you get the you get the title cards, you get that moment, you're in the zone. How do they bring you in? And that was something that you and I got so big into right away. And I always have kind of like stuck with that. It's something that's so important to a film. Like what's that first note that the director or the cinematographer wants to go with? Right. And I just think like that establishing shot. So for those that love watching movies or maybe they have studied and read about the history of film and the industry and things like that, the establishing shot is literally the first visual you see when that film starts. And for Roger Deakins, who has so many films to his name that he should have won for, No No Country for Old Men, Fargo, just incredible. Like the shots you see in that film. And to me, there's so many roles that he had been, or so many films that he had been the cinematographer for that you think when you look at the movie and you watch it, how did he not win that year? Things like that. And, and, And no disrespect to the films that he did win for recently with 1917, which is beautifully shot, and Blade Runner 2049, with him tag teaming for the second time with Dennis or the third time with Dennis Villeneuve with prisoners and then Sicario and, and then, and then for uh, excuse me for Blade Runner, all of which he got nominated for. It's so crazy. It's like when you set the tone and, and it starts with that establishing shot, it's the first thing you see and then you're off to the races. You're locked in from the start. If it's something that, that, that you get into right then, right there at the snap of a finger and then you're in. Yeah. You know, and and that's the thing is that like you and I, we put so much weight into that, that it's like, what kind of world are they going to build for us? Where, where am I going to be taken type of thing? And it, and it, it sets the tone. Uh, and it's something that you and I have definitely grown an appreciation for in cinematography. Absolutely. Um, I, I love, I mean, one of the biggest things about film now for me when I go, which I don't go, I, candidly, I obviously, I don't go as much as I used to. It's still deep appreciation for it, but something like I deeply crave is like a good cinematic experience. And part of that for me is just like being able to sit back and like go, wow, this is incredible. Right. The same way with like on a vacation or something, you like, you right. sit back and you're at the Grand Canyon and you're like, this is perfect. Right. So if I'm going to escape and I'm going to go to the movies, I want to sit back and be like blown away. I am cinematography does that for me. Right. And I'm so, I don't want to take your words right there, but blown away. So Henry and I are recording this and Henry has not listened to episode zero or or episode one because they haven't been released yet. And I, and I love when you say like escape because I talk in episode zero that I want this show when I compare it to film and I broke down my thoughts and my feelings about film, music, sports, television. The last thing I talked about was film. And film, I said, for me, is my ultimate escape from reality so that I can get away from my normal life and go to a theater or or have these conversations to talk about things, to 
um, immerse myself in conversations or visuals of, of a film in a theater to just get away. And going on a vacation does the same thing. So I can't believe, and that's something I really never described that to you as my escape from reality. So for you to say that, and we didn't even discuss in the brief pre-interview no, no. we had, it, that's just amazing. I can't believe you said that. And that's exactly what I want this podcast to be about. And there's so many things that when you dive into a story and it doesn't have to be a movie that we talked about on, on, on the radio show, just so many things you've talked about and, 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 and not even movies that would be nominated for Academy Awards or no. could be and noteworthy. That's the other thing is it doesn't is need, crazy. it doesn't need to be cinematography, right? Cinematography is a way that I love to do it. You know what films have garbage cinematography, but I am totally immersed every Here single time. Marvel, <laughs> any mm. Marvel movie cinema. Well, except for anything Taika Waititi touches because he brings, he brings along a pretty, pretty good crew. So we're talking, right. Like uh, with the exception of Thor Ragnarok, all, right. the, all the Marvel movies cinematography is highly questionable, right. but it's an escape. It's an event. It's right. a moment to be immersed in a universe that has been built over a decade. Right. So there's always different ways and we don't need to hit on every single way that you, you get into you know, film in one episode, but this is you and I, this is how we started. It was diving into different areas and one of those was cinematography. Oh, absolutely. And I think one thing I want to touch on before we get on some topics that I know I want to discuss here in episode two, one of the movies that we saw that year, your last year of college, which won best cinematography was Gravity. <sighs> yeah, right. And that is a movie that both had a funny story, potentially our funniest story ever seeing a movie together, yeah. but then also from a visual experience, something, A, something that had never been done before. B, something that when, that when that thing started, you were in until the credits oh rolled. Oh my gosh, I know. And the funny thing I want to talk about is we went to the premiere at the Regal Palladium near High Point with one of our very good friends, Gary, went with us, which was the normal crew. We go to dinner, we go to a premiere at seven or eight o'clock on a Thursday night if we wanted to see something. I mean, we just go to get away from campus. Yes. And we went there, IMAX. We were looking forward to it for so long. And we walk in, those previews are over. And what happens? We see the first eight minutes of the Metallica fan movie <laughs> starring Dane yes. DeHaan. So not only was George Clooney not in it, they were not anywhere near outer space. space. <laughs> Few of the people in the audience were. And, 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 and there were some people that were, um, I don't want to say shocked by the footage. They were not they did not pay for those tickets. They did not know what they were getting into. So I ran out to the, to the cap, to the, uh, excuse me, to the concession stand. I said, Hey guys, we're in theater one for, for gravity, IMAX premiere. <laughs> you guys got Metallica within a snap of a finger. They had a radio that pulled out. We got Metallica in one, we got Metallica in one. <laughs> and it was just like to see what they went through. And by the time I got back in there, the screen was off and gravity begun. I will always remember how panicked you were when you ran out of that theater. Right. <laughs> This cannot happen to me. I would have paid good money to be out in that lobby when you approached the person there and you're like, Metallica's. <laughs> it's like, they're going to put Corningstone on. Yeah. And then, no. Oh, no, it was. And, and luckily, there wasn't like, I ran out there and I ran right to the first employee that I saw so I could tell someone. And, and luckily, that night wasn't super slammed because if it was, everyone would have seen this kid run out of the theater and sweating. Sweating. Oh, yeah. When. But when that movie was over, Gravity was such a visual experience. And um, Chivo, uh, Emmanuel Lebeski, who three-peated with yeah, right. Gravity and Birdman 
and Revenant back to back to back. And he does a yeah. lot with Alejandro and Alfonso Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron, excuse me. Yes. And he is incredible. Children of Men, so many beautiful shot films he's done. So it was just, uh, it's an art piece. It's it's incredible. So yeah. Um, but so I, many good- I need to go back and watch Children of Men. Boy, that's a that's a good one. And, and, and a really good Clive Owen movie, one of the best, maybe one of the ones that he would say he was most notably known for. Someone who probably was, yeah. was, was I know, was in the running for, um, I believe it was James Bond towards the end when they were, are we going to bring Pierce Brosnan back for Die Another Day? Is it going to be someone else before Daniel Craig was even mentioned? And someone that he would be so much bigger of a movie star obviously if you get james bond which is one of the if not the most coveted role in the history of, of like film yeah but i just think like just such a good movie for him beautifully shot great underrated cast as well julian moore michael kane charlie you Holmes, know a, a film i'd say too that was definitely definitely before its time because the reason i say that is if you look at the crew that they put together for this type of thing mm-hmm. with the chivo lubeski um and afonso caron like this Wait, he directed, correct? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. But um, we're talking that this was like years in advance of like all these people picking up hardware years later. And not only that, but I don't, I mean, like I remember yes. for years, for almost a decade, almost a decade of going, oh, a long shot, like the one that they did in Children of Men. Oh, a long take like they did in Children of Men for right. 10 years. Right. And then all of a sudden now it's every film wants uh, like a long take because right. you know, it's, it's, it's an art form, but like right. the as, as far as like for, you know, a full decades worth people would, the reference point was like, remember when they did that in Children of Men, they, right. there were two, there was one in the, in the scene, in the jungle. And then there was one through the, the, the broken up town at the end that was like right. seven and 13 minutes. And now you've seen, 1917 uh gravity there's all these types of films that do like great great lengths to get these like really long uncut takes it's crazy and i I know like and to think back because i just i just checked stats so alfonso did write uh, with some other people the screenplay but he directed that film that was 06 that that was his first film i believe coming off of prisoner of azkaban which i know we love talking about harry potter as well god it was after azkaban it was after so which is crazy because if you look at wow Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and then how dark, like, and you kind of, you grow old with where, where. Save the franchise. Uh, save <laughs> the, save the franchise. No, he did. Oh, absolutely. It's because yes. you, you take that Chris Columbus, who obviously has had some great films over the years that we, that we as kids growing up, because we're roughly the same age, but we saw growing up and we loved. But then that take, that dark take, dark take so totally set set the pace for the remaining films when it comes to harry potter so alfonso for that is incredible but like another good thing about chivo as well but he did this with alejandro for birdman is they rehearsed that movie like a play which essentially is a movie about an actor about a play that is trying to get him back on the map and they choreographed that film and they filmed that in 30 days and if you think what they accomplished in 30 days and the movies that these big blockbusters or these other big budget uh, studio films that take months and months and months and months. And then a movie like that and having someone at the helm that's, at the driver's incredible. seat like Chico and Alejandro is just incredible. And not only that, I mean, honestly, too, uh, my, my current line of work has allowed me to work a little bit closer to production sets and TV right. and commercials. I will tell you, 
a, a couple of days worth to get a 30 second commercial or a couple of days worth just to get a TV show with unscripted actors, that type of thing, or even people that are on script right. is, is a feat in itself. The amount that you cram into that, I can't even fathom jamming in a feature length film with the amount of talent and in the locations that they shot Birdman. I'm glad you brought that up. It is, it is a remarkable feat that they shot that like that 30 days. Right. It's crazy. And, and then that for, and I know there's so many actors in that movie that we're both fans of or got nominated for their work in that movie that that was a movie that kind of got him back on the map. Like that next one, two, one, two, three punch for Michael Keaton. It was Birdman. It was Spotlight, both of yeah. which went back to back best picture. And then the following year was The Founder when he played Ray Kroc for, for McDonald's. Just big, big, big film. He never got it. He didn't get hardware, did he, for anything? No, he won the Globe yeah. for Birdman. Yeah. And that because they might have won his comedy musical. It was, it was comedy musical and he right. won it. And he had a great speech because that's the first time he'd been nominated for, I think, anything, maybe a Globe in the 80s for like a rom com that he did. But he had a great speech about his son, and his son is a is a very successful country music writer. Wrote a lot of big hits for people that songs we would know today. That his name, he's not the one performing it on stage, but he writes the song. So there's so much talent in his family, and his name is also his real name is Michael Douglas, but he can't go that way because of you know Michael yes. Douglas. So, but that movie, Michael Keaton, Emma Stone, Edward Norton, Zach Galifianakis, like there's so many people in that movie. And Amy Ryan has a has a kind of a side role there as well. I know from our our big fan and appreciation for the show, The Office, seeing people that we wouldn't normally see in movies like that, that are just in these movies that are just so um, yeah, a lot of talent to manage in that too. Just, when just you bring it up, I mean, you've got and great performances, right? a lot of hardware now too, because you you got Emma Stone in there. Mm-hmm. God, I mean, uh, great film, great, great film. film, great film. So I, I talked a little bit about an episode zero and episode one towards the end after i talked with connor about there's so many things that we've talked about on radio shows that you and i had together and connor and i had together but the to kind of transition here to i want to talk a little bit about things that you connor and i experienced together uh and that's bunbury but then also i want to stay within that that topic in that category of pop culture with music and talk about a band that you saw before i did yeah and you told me and it was kind of like luck of the draw for you very similar situation some bands that we kind of got that we're fans of that luck of the draw with bunbury right right but but what i want to get at is what we've been able to do with that band so now to put into specifics here and not just talking kind of code here when we talk about bunbury there's i want to talk about that for a second but ultimately the last i don't know 15 20 minutes or so i want to kind of close out episode two with uh, us talking about 21 Pilots. So um, for a native of Cincinnati, a place that prior to the pandemic, I would have visited that last third week of March for the 10th oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. The 10 times, God. So I know with the, the pandemic, when it started at the beginning, I had plane tickets booked with Connor and some of our our other friends to come to Cincinnati. And for that, that would have been my 10th time. But the third time I came to Cincinnati was for the Bunbury Music Festival, which I had a fantastic time at. There's so many bands I want to talk about. But overall, that weekend, um, aside from your your wedding weekend, was definitely the best weekend I had there visiting Cincinnati. So 
Um, when it comes to Bunbury, was the first time that we went, was that the first time that you went? Uh, yes. Let's just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, tiny little music festival down the river, <laughs> down by the river in Cincinnati, go. Ohio. Um, been around for a few years. Uh, it, it was like a alternative music festival. It's kind of shifted and pivoted as musical music festivals have over the years to be a little bit more modern, a little bit more EDM, uh, going for like a younger generation. Totally get it. That's kind of like what they need to do because music mm -hmm. festivals are m much more tailored to be like kind of like the under 25 or so uh, to a certain degree. But then like as you scale up like VIP experiences and whatnot, which we actually did that weekend. We did. And so that's what, that's what Connor talked about on episode one, where around this, around, I, hope he, I hope he said great deal. He did. Oh, absolutely did. Around the same price, maybe a little bit cheaper than what a festival general admission ticket yeah, would have like been Bonnaroo for or Bonnaroo or Alpalooza or, yeah. Fire, or Firefly. Right. And Connor had been to Firefly before I met him and before I met you. Um, before he, we, I think it was the summer before he went to High Point and, and we all met each other. But uh, with Bunbury, smaller than those other big festivals, but the bands that headlined are, are bands that would have headlined those big festivals as well. So what I look back on is three great days of music that with, with really good friends. And I know one of the stages, you would catch me looking over at the left of the main stage where we saw the Killers and ultimately Florence and some other yes. really cool bands too is the AMC on the riverfront, which is in Kentucky. <laughs> right, so you'd catch right. me looking over during a, like a set that I might not yeah, have been. That's in. a good tie back to the beginning. Just awesome look, at, look at the movie theater. Yeah. Just look what at movies the movie are theater. out that weekend. The I, lobster. I, I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to see the lobster. Colin Farrell. Right. And which oh, we did not boy. see, but um, no, but that weekend when we bought those tickets in like January or February, the lineup was out. It was the killers. It was Florence and the machine. It was um, ice cube mud crutch the tom petty side band there were so many people a monster men people we were fans of and we were like monster men yeah great this this is going to be a good lineup we're going to do this this is what it is do you want to do it so i'm like great let's do it connor yeah. i mean i listened to the to the the killers a lot growing up connor had seen them a couple of times and he was like austin this is a no-brainer we're going to do this it's going to be great they're a fantastic live band i cannot wait we got to do it i'm like all right great let's go so yeah. The things that stood out for me were Friday night were the killers. They were the headliner that night. The next night they were headlining governor's ball in New York. That night there was a Reds baseball game where they won. So there were fireworks going off. Uh, I was, yeah, I was going to say, if you guys talked about that, sorry to repeat for people, but like that was one of the best festival experiences I've ever had right was the fireworks going off behind is it danny right. flowers what's his name brandon flowers brandon flowers and it brandon looks exactly flowers. like he's your doppelganger uh yeah i know he looks just like you i know but yeah the fireworks going off behind brandon flowers holy cow what a right. memory for sure and, and and i just think like in terms and connor said it best there's like you'll know mr brightside you'll know so many other other songs human um you'll know all the things that i've done things like that and um, somebody told me, of course, but there's so many other songs that you'll know just by going that you've either heard somewhere and you didn't know were the killers. Yeah, that was so, like, totally the case. From start to finish, and then they opened with Spaceman and I was locked in. And Connor's yeah. like, I told you. Yeah. And, 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 and that band, that was the, the headliner of the first night. But we saw so many bands like Lewis the Child, which there were, I think there was 15 or 20 people. Oh at my that God, first... he was at 12, 15. Yeah, yeah at 12, 15, it was a 15 He's minute close. thing. He's it getting was... close to top line stuff now. Oh, they're killing it right now. It's, it's two guys and, and they're killing it. And, and they had one song out called It's Strange. 
and that was their big song and that was it. And then they've blown up and I, I, it's great to see where they're at now and then be able to see them when there were people that probably didn't even enter the festival yet. And they were just kind of like waiting around for the bigger people. So yep. that was great. But the one thing I want to talk about and kind of uses a transition here is you went to Lollapalooza. Yes. In Chicago. Yeah. And you saw a band that did now correct me if I'm wrong for 21 pilots. Did they open the same day for, were they the act before you saw Florence? Sorry. I, I did do my research for this episode, or Austin. So I did, I, I do have some stuff. It was August 2nd, 2015. Oh I went to, gosh. I was at uh, Lollapalooza in Chicago Sunday and my wife was a very big Florence the Machine fan, big right. time. So like we were like sprinting to get on the rail at like 10 a.m. on Sunday to watch Florence for sure. And we're like, this looks like a great day. I've heard good things about everyone that's before it. So like, I don't really care. Let's just get on the rail. I've heard good things about everyone. Starting the day, um, the first act was George Ezra, who was Ooh. big that year for singing Budapest. Budapest. Right. Budapest. It was it was a great little set. He he played a bunch of instruments. Um, uh, played a bunch of instruments. Got to hear Budapest. Awesome. And then at two o'clock, I told Aaron. I said, "No, it's not really our style, but there's a band that I want to listen to before Florence." She's like, "I don't care as long as we're there and not losing our spot." Called right. Twenty One Pilots. They're from Columbus, Ohio. I heard they put on an amazing show. Um, let's check it out. Right. They were at two o'clock. Of monsters and men or maybe somewhere at like three of monsters and men was around like six and then florence was around like eight okay. so we stuck through for all that stuff but i i still remember driving home from and this is where we'll go with this i still remember driving home that weekend we had built a playlist for everything that we had uh going in to get excited for the festival as you do going to of course festival. of course on the way home adding to it for what you heard Everything that we added and everything that we listened to the entire car ride home was from a genre that we did not care for. And it was all 21 pilots right. the entire way home because we had so much fun at that, at that concert. We were so blown away by what we saw and the rest is history. It's crazy because I graduated. Blurry Face had just come out. I was going like to say, May or I think it dropped in May. June. Yeah, It dropped in May. The, the big song, the, the first radio single for, one of the first radio singles for that album was Tearing My Heart. Yes. So that was the only song that I knew first. Yep. Now, fast forward to today, the biggest song that they have or may ever have is Stressed Out, but just in terms of commercial success, but Tearing My Heart was the first song on that album that I heard. So you went to Lollapalooza, you were talking about it like Austin, this band. And then when you showed me them more, and I was watching the music video for Lane Boy. Yeah. That is present that, that some of that epi, uh, music video is filmed at Bunbury, at Bunbury yeah. on the stage that for those who listen to episode one is the stage that Connor and I and Henry and his wife and our friend Gary saw Ice Cube. Yeah. So there's just true. so many cool things about that, that one thing leads to another and things like that. But when it comes to 21 pilots, the first time that I had the opportunity to see them, as I stated in episode zero with my time working for the Orlando magic, not just working at NBA games, but seeing concerts and shows was in, it was July 1st of 2016. So roughly 11 months to the day, yeah. Henry was like, 
you got to work that show. You got to see what I'm talking about. And you were like, okay, 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 okay. Like I'll go. The only reason why I did it is because 21 pilots on July 1st of 2016 was the second and back to back to back concerts at Amway that I did not want to miss. First night Bieber and post Malone opened. I talked about that on episode one with Connor. Yep. Um, the middle 21 pilots, incredible. And then the next night was Nick Jonas opening for Demi Lovato, big fan. Yeah. So that was just a one, two, three punch of Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in Orlando. Couldn't miss it. Back to back, just great. And for me, for 21 Pilots going into it, I listened to a little bit about that day. So at that time, I knew Ride, I knew Tear in My Heart, and I knew Stressed Out. And when I say it completely blew my mind to the point that that's the only band I listened to for essentially religiously for the next couple six, of years. Five, six years, yeah. Every single person in that arena, from the pit all the way to the top row at the bottom, or top row at the top of the, the nosebleeds, every single person knew every single word to every single song. And as someone who's a big pop culture fan, big fan of what's going on, and I feel like I, I know the trends well, I, I look into the things that are popular, things like that. I was so disappointed in myself yeah, for either okay. A, not listening to you and listening to this band roughly 11 months prior so I could have attended it and not worked at A, and then B... It was something that I had never seen before. And, I, and, and now that I've been fortunate enough, not only to see them at least one time, but you and I have seen them not once, but twice yeah. in their hometown of Columbus. Yeah. Gosh, we've seen them twice in the hometown. That's pretty cool. At two different <laughs> venues too, which is cool. So we did the Schottenstein first for, for yeah, Tour of Columbus. Yeah, Glory that is Base, cool. The last show of their tour. Yeah. And then we saw them at Nationwide for the first of two nights for that just they were still had dates after Columbus that wasn't the end of their leg or their tour. Yeah. And so I've seen them in Orlando as a fan. I've worked a show as an Orlando as a fan and I've seen them twice. No, excuse me. I've seen them three times in Tampa. Wow. Which is nuts. So I know for us when they go to Columbus, we try to work it out where we can go. We've done it two for two. I hope we can we'll see We'll do them. it again. Yeah, for sure. Now we have to, we've set the precedent. But for me, what I love about 21 pilots and kind of, kind of get in here for a second with is if you go from album to album, what they've done and how Tyler as a songwriter has evolved right. at, at a speed that you didn't think was possible from album to album. And what they've achieved by two just normal guys that I think would rather play video games and hang out with their family than go mm -hmm. out and, and, and do like, they definitely are very passionate about their message. They're very passionate about their fans and their, their fan base and, and how big it's getting. And they don't phone their performances in. And I've seen them where they've played, which would be the third or the fourth night in a row for a show. And I've seen them in their hometown. And there is a difference, but the difference you can barely tell. And I just think that for a band that is doing so well to the point that I don't even know if they know how big of an impression they have on, on this generation, but people like Travis Scott and Billie Eilish yep. and 21 Pilots, those three acts, those two solo guys in this band, they hold the youth of America in their hand. Oh yeah, that's and I don't definitely. think Twenty One Pilots—they don't want the credit, but they have the following. And I think that that band has given a voice for the people who would not be the mainstream, the it crowd, 
and the music yeah. and just the, the storytelling and how every album is different. Every song is different that their influences behind their music is just something that hasn't happened in so long. And I just think for a band that we've been relatively on the ground floor for to see where they've come since we've seen them in shows and, and, and talk to them, talk to each other about the band. It's yep. just crazy. I think that, yeah, you're, you're talking about them in a good way in that you can be a fan, which I know this is true with a lot of stuff, but I, I think 21 pilots does it in a good way is you can be a fan at a lot of different levels where you and I are big fans, but we're not even like the super fans when it comes to 21 pilots. Right. Cause there's people that have time to crack the codes that they right. put out there oh, yeah. and follow the story that goes behind trench. Look, I, I try to, there are people that know like the backstory and the origins and the culture and like the deeper meaning behind trench that I just don't right. have the time for, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate it. Right. But there's, it's, it's interesting. Like when we talk about film and we talk about movies and you find something that you're really passionate about, I think 21 pilots is an area that we found a deep passion for because it's a level of like art that can be accessible at a lot of different levels. Right. We can be big fans and not be lunatics or whatever people would say that like spend too much time right. on a certain thing, which, I mean, if you're a 21 pilots fan out there and you've got time for it, hell yeah, we appreciate that. Of course. But like, also you can listen to stressed out like the 2 billion streams that it's experienced on Spotify. Right. And be a moderate fan of 21 pilots. There's a lot of different ways to get involved. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think, and you couldn't have said it better. And because like the core fan base, they're called the click. And, the and, and, yeah, and I know, right. and I know like the skeleton click, there's so many different things they do, but like with Tyler and Josh, that two piece that they have, that one, two punch is just like, and I know we talked about stressed out and they've had some songs like heathens, which is a single for the movie suicide squad. It's not on an album. Yep. There's just so many songs. Like for me, like stressed out, I've heard so many times they play it at a point in a set where like the big songs, like the songs that I would think are the X factor of their set are songs that aren't on blurry face and they're not on trend. Yeah. So the X factor of that show, that halfway point where Tyler is literally in the crowd for me, it's off a of vessel. It's holding on to you, Josh with the backflip for the people yeah. that haven't that can kind of finally breathe after the first 45 minutes of that show. Cause it's so intense and just visually just like incredible. It's an experience. It's not a show. It's not a concert. It's very much an experience. And I just think that that band, what they're doing is and what they're continuing to do is inspiring to people that are maybe fans of the band that want to play music and do new things, but also they're not, I mean, they're good people. They're not cocky. They're not Midwestern, uh, which is why I love them. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Close to home for you. But I, I think for me, like, has opened my mind to so many things. And, and they've been on SNL, which is great. And we talk about Hamilton. And, and Lin-Manuel Lin was the host when they were on, yeah. uh, when they were the musical guests. But, like, Josh and Tyler, they could play stadiums like they were supposed to do before the pandemic hit in Europe. They can do arenas. They can do the small gigs. Tyler does these solo press things, and then Josh does the Q&A. And Tyler has remixed. They did a thing, a collab with Mute Math after Blurry Face, and, they yeah. did it, and then Tyler did a thing um, post-Trench towards the end of that third leg of the tour before him and his wife had a baby, these media things. Yeah. And he has like a, re like a reimagining 
of the songs that are just massive, massive, massive hits. And there's so many songs off of Trench that when Blurry Face was done, I was like, nothing can be topped. And now I think we're at a position now where Trench topped Blurry Face. It's hard to eventually say it now. I've never said those words out loud to you yet, (laughs) one-on-one. But I think like whatever they're cooking up right now, we got a taste of it with level of concern. But when it's safe to go out and tour, and they went from touring through the ground to just doing organized, not super aggressive tours, I cannot wait to see what's next. Yeah, I think they've always, they've found a way to satisfy everyone. Right. You know, and that's why at the end of the day, whatever they put out, I've got the confidence in Tyler that I'm going to be satisfied with it at some point in time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, And I think it's hard for me to say what my best song is. And I know people who I know, and this is not a band that I would think that Tyler or Josh would have been inspired by, but I know a a band that I'm going to mention here has a very, the fan base has, it's, it's different. And that's Dave Matthews band. Like Dave Matthews, he plays deep cuts. That's a very much an experience. It's a three hour show. It's a constant jam session. Yeah. And if they're lucky, the last song of, the set could be ants marching or crash into me or the space between something like that. 21 pilots, they do play their big songs, but my favorite songs of theirs aren't the ones that are on the radio. And I think right. like as, as time goes on, heavy dirty soul was a fantastic opener with, with the blurry face era and jumpsuit was even better for the trench era. So I know that Tyler, when he has that story to go from beginning to end, Yep. And how, how how him and Josh come up with the set. What I what I'm so into is how there's no lull when he goes in between Blurry no. Face, where it's about a, a person, kind of like uh, this being, and then Trench. He created this whole world, right. and so I, I can't. I really, I just can't. And I kind of went deep there for a second, but I just can't wait to see what's next. It's they're just incredible. I'm looking at, I, I pulled up my Instagram page. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it for favorite game of uh, podcast listeners out there where you describe a picture. But I took my first picture That's of 21 right. Pilots, August 2nd, 2015. Uh, I took a photo from the front row of the, uh, the on the rail at Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. And just a, a few feet away from me is Josh Dunn on the, the floating platform where they come out at their last song of the album. They play Trees at the end of all their sets and he stands on a, a board and bangs a drum and right. all the cannons of fire off. Right. Uh, big spe- spectacle at the finish. I just remember like it, it was the first time you see that you're like, wow, right. This is entertainment. Right. Here. Right. And like, I go back and I've watched shows during the vessel era and they will be like the second or the first or second band that plays the day. And they were opening for big bands like that were on their label. So other bands on their label they have were like Fallout Boy and Paramore and Panic at the Disco, things like that. So they've been touring for a couple of years where they've been the headliners. So bands like Mr. Wives that are good friends of them and Mute Math before they broke up, they would go with them too. But for you and I to go to those shows in their hometown and, and see like what it means and then seeing how Tyler will get in the crowd for some songs and then Josh gets in the crowd for some songs, that 
experience that they do night in and night out and that they don't phone it in. And I've seen some bands that are just kind of like, let's get this over with kind of thing. Like they don't say it, but you can just tell. Yeah. Like they, like, like when Connor and I talked about Post Malone on episode one, 21 pilots, they kill it every show. They kill it every night. 10 out of 10 most times. And then when sometimes when you see them, particularly in Columbus, you said maybe 11 out of 10. Dude, when we, when we went for the trench show night one of the two nights they played in Columbus and, and you thought Josh Dunn was about to bang a hole through the, the center of the arena. <laughs> Josh Dunn was going to break those drums halfway through jumpsuit. Those are the first song of the set. Like he, he, I looked over and you were laughing and you were pointing down at me and he was just banging the crap out of those drums. And I had seen the show in Orlando three weeks prior and the intensity was there, but like they took it up a level that maybe it's just good. They're in their hometown. There's people there that they they don't see him every night. And it was just crazy. Last mile of the marathon. Josh and and Tyler are both married. Tyler has a baby with his, his wife, Jenna. And I just can't wait to see what see what happens. They were supposed to headline Bunbury this year, and I know that that lineup. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's I know right. they were supposed to be there. I think it was going to be the last night of of the festival. It was their only Ohio show of 2020, which obviously got postponed. So they'll be back in 2021 at Bunbury. So maybe that's the next time we see them. If not, if they have a new album and they have a new touring cycle, we'll try to catch them in Columbus or maybe somewhere in Florida. But yeah, um, I, I think to to tie things together here when it comes to 21 pilots and music in general, but the, that band we talked about here the past 20 minutes or so. And then if, if you take the, the, the conversations we had on our radio show, our radio show and, and the movies that we've talked about, the reason why I wanted to have Connor and, and Henry on these podcasts to be that, that one, two, two punch for me is all the stories that we have and all the common interests that we share together. And, and those topics that we've talked about in the first two episodes of the podcast here today and the conversations that I look forward to having with my friends and family and people that I meet along the way, that's what this podcast is about. So, and I know that with the first two episodes, it's been great and I can't wait for episode three and all the episodes that follow. So I guess for, for the music, Henry and I can't wait to see what 21 Pilots have next. Hey, yeah. Henry, why don't you tell us what's going on in Cincinnati? Tell, tell what you got going on in the world, and then I'll close it out for us. Turn the, turn the mic over to me. I've got nothing going on. I've got a baby at home. I've got I to gotta keep, ba- keep this baby alive. No, Owen's doing great. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for having me on. It's been a blast here. Uh, to, to the good people out there that want to follow me, don't. I don't have anything interesting. I've got to, <laughs> um, I, I do appear from time to time on Austin's podcast and also Connor Brown, which you're familiar with. Uh, on his WDW Opinion podcast, uh, where we talk all things Disney over there. But really, I hope you guys enjoyed. Austin is one of the one of uh, my best good friends in the entire world, who whose passion for life is only exceeded by his passion for film. So, if you're passionate about film, you found a good place to to dig in a little bit more with a, a fellow nut uh, like Austin Lee. So, Austin. Thank you for having me. Great words by a great man. That is going to do it for us today on episode two of Live On Set. Big thanks to Henry. Check us out at Live On Set Pod on Instagram or at my uh, personal Instagram handle at underscore Austin M. Lee underscore. Those are the two Instagram accounts. You're going to get all the 
uh, alerts, all the uh, news when it comes to live on set. And that's how we're going to do it. Thank you, Henry. Episode two is in the books. That is it for us today. We will see you next week for episode three when I have my cousin, Brendan, on where we talk about college sports, what the college football season may look like, what's going on in the NBA bubble. That's it for Live On Set, guys. Much love always. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.